Good morning, again. Um, it is vitally important uh, that us as believers keep our finger on the pulse of culture. Here's why. We need to be able to answer the question of what does our culture value? What do they value? What are their hopes and dreams? Okay. The reason that that is so important is because we then take an unchanging gospel to an ever-changing culture. Amen? So as the culture shifts and changes, as the ideas of culture shift and change, we are studying that because our hope is to take, again, this unchanging gospel that Jesus Christ has come. He has lived the life that we should have lived. He has died the death that we should have died in our place for our sins and that by faith in him alone we can be saved. That's the gospel. We are to take that message to an ever-changing culture, but we study that culture so that our approach and how we bring it to them is best understood by them. So we look at things like film. We look at things like television. We, we look at what the politicians are saying. We listen to music. We look at art, and we see all of these things in a hope to, okay, what, what does our culture value? What do they love? What do they care about? What are they really searching for and hoping for? Again, so, so what does our culture today really value? Well, tolerance, right? T tolerance is the message of our culture right now. So again, what we can do with this great unchanging gospel is say something like this. We have a God who is incredibly inclusive. He is inclusive and he is incredibly tolerant. He says, all who are weary and heavy laden, come and I will give you rest. Now, Jesus says, I am the only way, but he is the only God who says anybody can come. As a matter of fact, I only accept sinners. <laughs> only sinners can come. If you think you're not a sinner, then, well, you can't come. But the moment you admit to yourself honestly and say, I'm a sinner in need of grace, he says, come. I don't care if you're black, white, yellow, red. I don't care. Come all who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. So again, that is taking an unchanging gospel to an ever-changing culture. So it's vitally important that we constantly study the culture, not only so that we can take the gospel to this ever-changing culture, but also when the culture begins to act or live in ways that are distinctly unchristian, we avoid the way the culture lives. You guys follow that? So we don't just study it to preach the gospel to them, but we study the culture so that we may live out gospel implications. So when we see the culture veering off course, we go, culture, that is distinctly unchristian, and down that path, we as believers in Christ will not go. For example, our culture is proudly, proudly sexually promiscuous. And so what is taught in schools and what is taught in many homes is that when your daughter comes of age, what do you do? Well, because the culture is sexually promiscuous, you put her on birth control, and if you have a son in your home, you give him condoms. This is what the culture says is acceptable. And of course, us as believers in Christ, believers in the word of God, which calls for purity, we say no, no. We teach them abstinence. We, we teach them purity. We teach them chastity. We call our children to a life of holiness and purity. Amen? So we study the culture to see when the culture begins to veer off the biblical course 
as believers in Christ and as people who are trying to live out gospel implications, we say, okay, culture, we're not going down that path. We're not going down that path. Now, again, we're not called to, to totally remove ourselves from the culture, to go live in some monastery far, far away and just pray for Christ's return. Okay? That, that's not what we're called to do. Rather, we're called to live in the culture but not be of the culture. Here's the way Jesus says it in John 17, 15. He is praying, and he says this, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. I, I don't want my children, I don't want Christians to be totally removed from culture, just all the way, again, living in a monastery, all the way off by ourselves. I, I don't want them to be taken out of the world, but I also don't want them to walk in the ways of the devil or the evil one. I, I don't want them to walk in this way. So it's vitally important that we study the culture and watch cultural trends. Now, I've done all of that to lead up to say this. Our culture is talking about gender. Our culture is talking about gender. It is what is on the minds and the hearts. It's what's on television. It's what's in music and art and everything that you see. What we're talking about today is things like marriage equality, equal work for equal pay, all of these type of things our culture is talking about. And we're really, really trying as a culture to redefine gender and redefine gender roles. Again, so it's vitally important that us as believers say, okay, we're going to watch the cultural trend, and where the culture goes down a path that is distinctly unbiblical, we will not follow. Because listen, the Bible is the only source for truth and a right worldview, okay? The Bible is the only source for truth and a right and wise worldview. Here's an example. The culture is a terrible source for a worldview because it's incredibly fickle. Okay, in the 1950s, segregation, the culture thought, was a great idea. Black people should be over there. White people should be over here. They drink from this fountain. We drink from this fountain. The culture said yes and amen. We think that's a great idea. And then now today, obviously, the culture roundly rejects that. Why? Because the culture is fickle. While all along, the Bible has been preaching racial equality and diversity. The Bible's been preaching that ever since the beginning, right? But, but the culture is fickle and ever-changing. So it's not a good source for establishing a worldview or establishing how we should live our lives. Rather, we should go to God's word and say, what does God's word say? And then I'm going to base my life off of that. Okay? So... The question is, <clears throat> what does the Bible have to say about gender, and specifically, how does that impact marriage? So last week, we started our marriage series uh, called Foundations, and what we've been trying to do is essentially lay the foundation for a biblical, God-centered, Christ-honoring marriage. Okay, so here's the whole sermon. You guys know I like to give away the whole sermon at the beginning and then kind of build my case out from that. So here it is. God created men and women equal and with distinct roles. God created men and women equal, equal in dignity, value, and worth. Uh, if you remember back in Genesis, both men and women are endowed with, are given what is called the imago Dei or the image of God where God said, let us make man in our image. That's mankind as in man and woman. 
Men and women are equal in dignity, value, and worth, yet we have distinct roles. And what's happening in our culture today, what's happening in our world is we are affirming the first part and denying the second. So men and women are equal in dignity, value, and worth. Our culture would affirm that. But our culture is saying, and there should be no distinction between men and women and their roles. So, for instance, in the dating world, in our culture today, it is totally acceptable for a woman to pursue a man. It is totally acceptable for the woman to pay for the date. It is totally acceptable for the woman to call and chase, and, and that, that is an acceptable dating relationship in our culture today for the woman to take the lead in that. In marriage, it's perfectly acceptable to have a stay-at-home dad to allow the woman to be the main breadwinner, so on and so forth. No role distinctions. This is what our culture is shooting for. And again, the problem is our culture has thrown the baby out with the bathwater. Now, have there been some really great advances Yes, but like women, you, you guys were allowed to vote not too long ago. Like how crazy is that? There have been some awesome things, right? There have been some awesome things that the culture has done and said, hey, this is wrong. I mean, women should be allowed to vote. Hello, right? You guys are smarter than us anyway. Um, and the lady said, um, so th- there have been some really great advances, um, but we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater when we look at things uh, l- like We've removed all of the distinctions. You see, used to, again, women were looked down upon as second-class citizens. I mean, think about the workforce, right? I mean, women in the workforce, you know, in years past were good for, uh, you know, making coffee and taking memos. And that was about it, right? And, and, And that was totally unjust and wrong, and that needed to be fixed. But the pendulum has swung so far over this way, and not only have we said there sh- we should be equal, but there should be no distinctions. And so the pendulum in our culture has swung way too far. And so the hope is today that we will examine God's design for men and God's design for women. Now, specifically, here's how it plays into marriage. Listen to this. If we fail to trust God in his design for gender roles within the marriage, there will be systematic problems. Okay, Systematic and systemic. Meaning, if we deny God's design for gender roles within the marriage, then it won't just affect one thing, it will affect everything. It will affect how you parent. It will affect the intimacy in the marriage. It will affect how the money is spent. It will affect everything if you deny God's gender roles. Okay? So, last week, here's what we said. We said the purpose of marriage is to glorify God by showing the world what he is like. So, so we walked through the purpose of marriage last week. This week, we're going to walk through the function of marriage. So, so we talked about the purpose, which is to glorify God by showing the world what he is like. Okay, so now practically, how does the purpose get achieved? You guys following me? Shake your head. Yes, I hear it rattling out there. Very good. The purpose, glorifying God by showing the world what he is like. How do we achieve that purpose? Well, it is by walking out God's design in roles, gender roles, within the marriage. Meaning this, the man is to lead and the woman is to help. Okay, that's the the big idea 
of what we'll be talking about today. So what are the roles that are laid out in Scripture? Just as a quick side note, um, if you are single in the room, okay, you're not married, you're going, marriage series, boring, right? I'm not married. This, that, okay, before you do that, before you turn the switch off, I just want to pause, okay? If you are a single man in here, what I'm calling you to do today is to listen to what a godly man and husband is to be like and strive to be doing that now. Amen? For the single ladies, all the single ladies, yes, all the single ladies, what I'm, what I'm calling you to do is to listen to what a biblical man is and settle for nothing less. Okay? Now, in the same way, for the ladies, I'm going to walk out what it means to be a godly wife, and I'm calling you to be walking in that now, asking the question, how can I be cultivating being a godly wife even now, though I'm single? Okay? And then again, for the men, I'm calling you to be chasing after and searching for a woman like this. Okay? A woman of godly character. Okay? A, a woman who is going to leave a good legacy and not just be a good time. Amen, gentlemen? Okay. So, what are the roles and how are they laid out in Scripture? Number one, here's the... Number, I have two points today. Number one, the man is to be the visionary leader. The man's role in the marriage is to be the visionary leader. Now, I'm going to impact that with three subpoints. Okay, then we're going to get to the ladies. I'm going to lay out the big idea for the ladies, and then I'll unpack that with three subpoints. Okay, just for those uh, type A people who like to take notes. Okay, the man is to be the visionary leader. What do I mean when I say visionary leader? Here is what I mean I mean someone who creates and executes a plan, meaning the man has in his mind, for his wife, his children, and his home, in his mind, he has a plan. That should be shocking because not a lot of men do. A lot of men uh, have what I call uh, spiritual hoboism. Okay, I made that word up. Okay, spiritual hoboism. Meaning, you guys know what a hobo is? They're, they're, they got the, the, like the stick and the little sack on the end of it, and they walk, and they, they get on the train, and the train simply takes them wherever the train's going. When does the hobo eat? Well, whenever a meal comes his way, life just sort of happens to him. And the, the, the problem in our culture today, the problem in many marriages today, is that men don't have a clear visionary plan for the future of their wife, for their children, for their family, for their finances. They don't have any of that. They're simply allowing life to just happen to them. And whatever comes their way, whether they get the promotion or don't get the promotion, ah, who knows, you know, we're just going to let life happen to us. I mean, if, if we get some money back on taxes, oh, that'll be great. Then we can invest and do this. But if it doesn't, who knows? I mean, what? Life is just happening to them, and so many men are just stuck in neutral, just stuck in autopilot, just going with the flow. Again, walking in what I have called spiritual hoboism with no thoughts for what's next for my family without ever thinking of questions like these. Listen to this. What education path will we go with for my kids? Are we going to have more kids what does my career look like in five years? Are we going to be able to take a family vacation? Is it wise for us to take a family vacation right now? How is my wife's relationship with Jesus? How are my children growing in the gospel? 
so on and so forth, okay? So a man is the visionary leader of the home, meaning he is thinking about what's next. He is formulating and creating a plan for his family. What I mean is that the man is responsible for setting the direction for family life. Men, we must have a plan. Men in the room, do you have a clear plan for your life, for your family, and are you putting steps in order to execute that plan, or are you just allowing life to happen to you? Just allowing life to happen to your wife, just allowing life to happen to your children. Ephesians 5, through 24. Let's begin to jump into this text. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. The scripture could not be more clear. We're going to talk about submission in just a minute, but what is very clear here is that if the wife is to submit to the husband, that means he is the visionary leader. It means he leads. Now, what's very interesting in this text, look back at it at verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife. The the husband is not commanded to lead. The, The husband is never asked to It's just said that that is what he is. By virtue of being a husband, men, we are in a place of inescapable leadership. Let me say that again. By virtue of being a husband, we are as men in a place of inescapable leadership. Meaning, we must lead. Meaning, it's our God-given role. Meaning, that's the way he designed it. Despite what the culture has to say, this is the way God has designed it. In the garden, we all know what happened. The serpent comes, tempts, Eve eats the fruit, then they cover themselves with leaves and they hide. Then God comes into the garden, and listen, men, who is God looking for? Who does he call for? Adam. Well, wait a second. I mean, it was Eve that did it, right? Why is he looking for me? Because ultimately the responsibility was placed on Adam to lead his wife away from sin and away from temptation, and he failed. Now, was Eve guilty? Yes, absolutely. Keep reading in Genesis. Not only does the man receive a curse, but she receives a curse as punishment and penalty for her sin. She is totally guilty of her sin. This doesn't mean that she's not guilty, but it means that the man was in a place of leadership and he failed his role. Uh, Doug Wilson gives this great illustration. Here's what he says. If a sailor, while sailing the ship, runs the ship aground while the captain is asleep, the captain still bears the responsibility, right? Is is the sailor guilty for his negligence of crashing the ship? Absolutely, but it is the captain who still bears the ultimate weight and responsibility for the actions of that sailor, okay? So, metaphorically speaking, if Jesus wanted to deal with an issue in the home, he would knock on the door and ask for the man of the house, 
If Jesus wanted to deal with an issue in the home, okay, there, there's this issue, there's that problem, right? This is, this is metaphorically speaking, Jesus would come and knock on the door. Let, let's say my wife, Chelsea, answers the door. How's it going, Jesus? Are, are you back? It's great to see you. Like, is this it? And he goes, no, I have an issue to deal with. Where's Kirk? He, he, he would ask for me, and, and I would have to step forward and give an account as the leader of the home, as the leader of the home, okay? Now, specifically, we've kind of been at 30,000 feet a little bit. I've just commanded you guys to lead. I think we've seen in the scripture very clearly that we're called to lead. Specifically, though, what are we supposed to be the visionary leader of? Am I supposed to be the visionary leader of whether my wife wears heels or flats? Am I supposed to be the visionary leader of whether she goes to Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts? Okay, so what am I supposed to lead specifically? Let's begin with the subpoints. okay? A man is to be the visionary leader for the spiritual growth of his home. The man is to be the visionary leader for the spiritual growth of his home. The sad thing in our world today is that the spiritual leaders in the home are oftentimes the wife. She is the one saying, come on, honey, you got to wake up. We got to drag the kids to church. And he's going, I don't want to go to church. So oftentimes it it is the wife that has to do the prodding and pushing uh, to to get the husband to read the Bible with the kids, to get everybody to church. She's the one waving the flag of, of, hey, let's be a home centered around the gospel. When the Bible is emphatically clear that the man, it is our job as a man to be the spiritual leader in the home and to create a visionary plan of seeing systematic growth within our home. Ephesians 5, 25 through 26. Husbands, love your wife as Christ has loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might, look look at this word, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Jesus comes, okay? Jesus comes on a rescue mission to save his kids. Not only does he want to save them from death, from hell, from God's wrath, but he then wants to see them enter into a relationship with him where they are sanctified. That's a very churchy Christian word. Here's what I mean. He wants his children to then enter into a relationship with him where they are day by day grown to be more like him, more loving, more caring, more honoring, more Christ-like. That's what that means there, to sanctify. Jesus came to save us and to sanctify us, meaning moving us more to be like him in his image. What's Jesus like? That's what he wants us to be like. In the same way, what this text is saying is that the husband's role or the husband's job is to come alongside of his wife, to come alongside of his children and create a visionary plan to see them grow in Christ's likeness. It is his responsibility Meaning, men, there will come a day where we will stand before God Almighty and he will say, son, I gave you one of my daughters. Son, I gave you um, some children. And I ask you to be the visionary leader to grow them in Christ's likeness. What did you do? And we'll give an account. Because that responsibility falls falls. On us. 
This means you need to have a comprehensive spiritual growth plan for yourself, right? Because if you're not spiritually healthy, you can't lead anybody to spiritual health. For yourself, your wife, and your kids. This includes, but is not limited to, consistent, consistent church attendance. Amen? Bible studies, prayer, constant conversation about the gospel and his word, researching resources for your wife, for your kids. Do you have a plan for spiritual growth in your home? Men, are you cultivating an atmosphere in your home where confession and repentance is the norm? Man, we've got to do that. We've got to, in our homes, create this environment to where confession and repentance is the norm. It's not that thing outside of the box to where just the wheels fall off and everything blows up and you just have to, like, well, I guess i got to repent to my wife now. Sorry, babe, I yelled and got mad. But, but you're cultivating in your home an atmosphere to where you guys just confess sin and repent all the time. It's just a normal thing. And here's how to do that, men. You do it first. Meaning, dudes, when's the last time you sat down with your wife in prayer or over coffee or over dinner and just say, babe, I blew it this week. <laughs> I mean, I totally blew it. I, I got to confess this and, and just plead the blood of Jesus over this sin. Would you just forgive me? Or the way I talked to the kids last night was a little harsh. Or, you know, you asked me to help you with this and there was just something in my heart. I just didn't want to help you. I mean, I, I just wanted to sit on the couch and let you do it. And, and I know that sin, and I know I should want to help you in these things. So would you just forgive me for having that in my heart? Men, I promise, if you would start to do that and lead that way, dude, your, your wife is just going to follow right along. And, and then she's going to say, you're right, honey. The other day I, I did this, and I, I'm, I'm just sorry. And, I mean, how beautiful is that? Just cultivating that atmosphere of confession and repentance, of, of looking at your wife and saying, and, and, and just thoughts like this. We're about to enter into this season of parenting, uh, of having multiple kids or whatever. Maybe my wife and I can, can get some resources on parenting and just go through that together. I mean, Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp, my just brilliant book. I recommend it to everybody. Or, or, or thinking about, man, I know my wife's been struggling with this or thinking about this. What resources can I research online to find and order those books from trusted men and, and just go through it with her? What about my kids? I mean, are, are they hearing the gospel? And, and in what, I mean, who's teaching them? I, I got it. That, that's our responsibility, men, to create a comprehensive, visionary plan for the spiritual growth of our wives. Okay, I, I just threw out those kind of th those little hints, but but listen, your wife is different than every other woman in this room, amen. So I, I mean, I could give you my plan, but that wouldn't help you very much. You, as the leader, as the visionary leader, need to study your wife, and you, with well, along with her, I mean, ask her, right? Ask her, um, and create that individualized plan for her. Now, it, it is great to ask other men what they're doing just to kind of see, like, man, how, how are you leading your wife spiritually? What does that look like? Just to kind of get some ideas. But again, men, understand, please understand, your wife is so different than every other woman in this room. And so just borrowing somebody else's plan, like word for word, isn't going to work. You need to seek the Holy Spirit and pray and ask God for guidance on that. Amen? Okay. <clears throat> the man is to be the visionary leader for the financial state of the home. For the financial state of the home. Listen to this. This is Genesis 2, uh, 15. 
The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Okay, in the beginning, here is God's design. God's design is for the man to work. He works. He has a J-O-B, a job. Okay, again, side note, single ladies. All the single ladies, all the single ladies. He needs to love Jesus and have a job and have a plan and know where he's going, right? A lot of single ladies, I mean, the, the guy can't even find his car keys, much less hold down a job and, and know what he's doing and where he's going in life. But, I mean, he sure is cute. So what? The man must be the leader, the, the visionary leader for the financial growth of his home. God's original design when he put Adam and Eve in the garden was for the man to work. She was blessed with childbearing, okay? So childbearing and child rearing, that is the woman's role. And then to earn the income, the breadwinning to support the family, that responsibility rests on the man. Now, that doesn't mean that the wife can't work. Read Proverbs 31. That, that wife works, my wife works, okay? But at the end of the day, making sure that the bills are paid rests on the shoulders of the man. If the light bill isn't paid, if the groceries are not on the table, men, that's on your head. It's our job. It's our job to do that, to work. It is God's design, Okay? This means the weight of the financial responsibility is the man's, and he must provide for his home. Again, we've got to not just make sure the bills are paid and food is on the table, but we're asking the what's next question. This is the visionary leadership part, okay? This is the visionary, not just the bills are paid. I mean, we got two nickels to rub together after the bills are paid, um, but... But there's something, a man is planning for the future. He's asking questions like this. Is there a clear picture of financial spending in our home? Do we have a five-year plan? Do we have a 10-year plan? What's your plan to bless your children when they graduate from high school, college, or get married? What's your plan to lead your family in generous financial giving? What's your plan to save money? What's your plan to pay off debt? We gotta have a plan, men. We can't just let life happen to us, and we can't just get the bills paid and say, oh, we're covered, but we've got to be thinking about the future. What's next? How, how can we grow our financial income? Not so we get more stuff. Who cares about stuff? How can we grow our financial income so that we can be a blessing to our children, so we can be a blessing to our church, so we can be a blessing to our city, to our neighborhood? Let, let, men, let's create financial plans to grow our income so that we can be a blessing to others and lead our family in doing that. Amen? Lastly, for the men, the man is to be the visionary leader in cultivating the relationship. Listen to Ephesians 5, 28 through 29. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Very interesting what's happening in, in the text here. Um, us as dudes, we pamper ourselves a lot more than we like to think. Okay, Now, 
there's probably not a lot of dudes in the room uh, when I say pamper, you know, like go do the, the Manny Petty thing. And if you do, that's okay. No big deal. Okay. We, we can be honest here. But let me walk into my house and let it be uh, like 72 degrees. I will lose my mind. Okay. It is so hot in here. It's terrible. Babe, what's, what's going on? You know, so, so then I go over, and, and because I love my own body, as this text is saying here, I try to get it you know, on our thermostat. You know, it's got uh, you know, 70 and then 60 and then meat locker. I, I get it over there at meat locker. That, that's where I like to keep it okay? because I cherish and nourish my own flesh. Right? Just l- let me get the, the slightest... Um, twinge of a headache. Everybody, oh, babe, babe, where's the Tylenol? Oh, this is terrible. Because us as men, we cherish our own flesh. Uh, We we like to eat chicken wings and hamburgers uh, and sit in the air conditioning because we nourish and cherish our own flesh. Amen? Okay, we're, we're being honest here. Now, what if, what if we were to take that same attention that we put on nourishing and cherishing our own flesh. And what if we were to shift that to our wives? What if we were to shift that focus, that self-focus of making sure that my needs are met and I'm comfortable? What if we were to shift that over to our wives? There is one clear thing in this text. Husbands are to love their wives. What does it mean? It means love them in the same way Christ has cultivating listen listen this is so important man listen this means that we must cultivate romance through service this text is so powerful and so challenging to men why because it is a call to daily die for your wife you see that in the text read it again in the same way in the same way as what In the same way as Christ, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his his wife loves himself, and no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourished it and cherished it, just as Christ does the church. What did Christ do for the church? He died for it, meaning that the call to husbands, this is your visionary leadership. Your visionary leadership, men, is not ordering your wife around. It does not mean that you get to come home, plop down on the couch, I'm the leader, you're supposed to submit, bring me my beer and my pot pie, right? That, that is not biblical leadership in the home. That is not. What is visionary biblical leadership in the home? Biblical visionary leadership in the home is the call to daily Die for your wife. How can I serve her? How can I love her? How can I meet her needs? How can I make sure the home is provided for? When I get home from work, it is not a, I, I earned the money today, so now I get the chance just to check out. No, it is, and, and listen, I often pray this. When I leave my office, and as I'm coming, my office is actually at home, but it's kind of detached. When I close my computer, I am, I'm tired. I've had a long day, this, that, or the other. As, as I'm walking towards my door to enter into my home, and I know my wife is there, and I know my, my daughter is there, I am praying and asking the Holy Spirit to empower me, to give me strength, and to give me courage not to check out, but to engage my wife and my daughter. My, my flesh and my body wants to sit on the couch and check out so desperately. I want to so bad. 
But I say, Spirit, would you, would you just give me the strength? I want to check out so bad, but I can't. I'm, I'm in charge. I'm the leader here. I can't check out. I can't pastor my wife and pastor my daughter if I'm checked out on the couch. i got to come in and engage. i got to get down on the floor and build blocks, towers with, with, with my daughter. i, I got to be ready and available uh, for, for my wife. I, I have to do that. It's my job, man. And so let me just encourage you. Don't check out. Don't check out. But you pray the Holy Spirit would empower you to engage the way that you need to to cultivate that relationship. Listen to this, men. If the romance, I made it rhyme just for fun. If the romance is dead, it's on your head. If the romance is dead, it's on your head, right? We, we often think, you know what? I mean, I, I provide, I do all this stuff. And so the, the romance part, I mean, that's on her. That, I mean, girls like romantic stuff, right? Not the guys. But it is our job, men, to romantically pursue our wife in a way that is pleasing to her. Your primary passion and pursuit should be your wife. For so many men, our passionate pursuit is hunting, fishing, football, cars, our careers, instead of our passionate pursuit being the health of our wife's soul, our passionate pursuit is our hobbies and our career. God's calling us to something so much bigger and more beautiful. Amen? Okay, now, let's take some time now to shift away from that. Any, any dude in the room feel like two inches tall right now? Okay, my hand's in the air on that one. We'll, we'll talk about that at the end. Um, let, let's now shift over to the role of the wife, okay? Right, the, men, the man is to be the visionary leader. The wife, number two, the wife is to be the submissive helper. The wife is to be the submissive helper, okay? Now, headship, okay, or the man being the head of the relationship originates in the Trinity. John 6.38 says this, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. When we look at the Trinitarian Godhead, what we see is the Father, okay, who is the head, and we see the Son who is submissive to the Father's will. He says, I have come not to do my own will, but to do the will of the Father. So, ladies, your idea and your view of submission originates from God himself, from the Trinity. Now, here's what comes from that. If the biblical idea of submission originates in the Trinity, it can't mean inferiority. Do you hear that, ladies? If the idea of submission originates in the Trinity meaning God the Father is the head, the Son submits to the Father, that means that submission can't mean inferiority because we know God the Son is equal with God the Father. They're equal, yet he is still submissive to his Father. Do you see how that works? So don't for one moment think that you're inferior. Don't for one moment think that you're not equal. That is not it at all. Not it at all, okay? Now, everyone is called to submit. Everyone is called to submit. Here, the specific call is for wives to submit to husbands, but everybody's called to, everybody's called to submit to the government, whether you like it or not, okay? That, that says in Romans, submit to the governing authorities. Everyone is called to submit. Wives are called to submit to husbands. Uh, if you're a member of this church, you're called to submit to the leadership. 
and even me being an elder, guess who I'm called to submit to? Other elders. So, so, so nobody gets out on this one. It's not just like the Bible looks down on women because they're you know, not as awesome, and so they have to submit, and, and, and the men don't. Men are called to submit as well, just in different ways. Amen? Okay, so the wife is the submissive helper. Let's take a look at Titus 2, 3 through 5. I wanted to look at Ephesians and, and really apply that to the men. Now I want to look at this text in Titus and, and kind of pull out some principles um, for our ladies. Listen to this text from Titus 2, 3 through 5. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderous or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. Listen to this. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure. Here's a scary one. Working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled, okay? First sub-point, the wife is to be the submissive helper for her husband, okay? We said that the man is to be the visionary leader. He is prayerfully considering, praying, seeking the counsel of his wife, and creating a comprehensive plan for his family. What the wife does then is she comes along and helps him execute that plan. That's how the relationship works. The man is leading. This is what, honey, this is what I believe God has called us to. I think God wants us to do this, and I want to, I think this is how we can get there. And she says, yes, sweetheart, I love you. I'm going to do everything I can to come alongside you and help you execute this plan for our family. That's how the role works. One theologian says it this way. She is called to the work or the plan by ministering to him. Listen to this. This is so brilliant. He is oriented to the task. She is oriented to him. Isn't that awesome? I mean, that, that's, a, that's a beautiful picture of what marriage is to be, that he is oriented to the task, to the plan, to, to, to getting it done, to seeing spiritual growth, financial help, to cultivating the romance in the relationship. That's what he is doing. And she is helping him do that by being oriented to him, by loving him, by serving him, by meeting his needs as he is creating a plan to meet her needs. I mean, don't you see how, how ridiculous the culture is? They're saying there should be no role distinctions. But when you walk it out like that, you see the beautiful picture that God has for marriage. And you go, yeah, that makes sense. That works a lot better than no, no gender distinctions at all. This is a beautiful picture, okay? So the wife is to be submissive, is to be the submissive helper for her husband. Okay, now, some of the ladies in the room, maybe you married ladies, are thinking, well, if I am supposed to help him execute the plan, here's the problem, pastor. He ain't got no plan. I mean, if my role is to help him do this, well... He ain't doing nothing. Again, the guy can't even find his car keys, much less execute a, a, a comprehensive plan for our family. So, so what now? Okay, now let me just side note again to the, the single ladies and say this. This is why it's so vitally important for you to find a man who has a plan because your job is to help him execute the plan. And if he doesn't have a plan, then you're going to be frustrated in your marriage. Okay, so find a man who's got a plan. Now, 
back to the ladies in the room who are married, and maybe your guy doesn't have a plan, and you're going, well, pff, what am I supposed to do? You're his helper. You're supposed to help him create a plan. And here's how. In a very loving, okay, respectful, submissive way, ask him what the plan is. Just by asking him what the plan is, that'll help him. Because in a very nice, soft, and subtle way, ladies, you know how to do this. You guys are great at it. In a very nice, soft, and subtle way, you're taking his feet and sticking them right over the fire. <laughs> Honey, what, what's, what's the plan for my spiritual growth? I mean, I really want to grow in the Lord, and, and, and I see you doing, you know, I see you reading your Bible, and, you know, I just, I want to grow in the Lord too. What, what's, what's the plan? And watch them go, uh, well, you know, uh, we, uh, you know, uh, we got to, uh, 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 and he'll make a plan. <laughs> Even if he has to make up one on the spot and, and kind of fix it as time goes on, that'll be better than no plan at all. Amen? Okay? So, again, don't, don't view your husband's weaknesses as a source of pain and bitterness. Rather, view your husband's weaknesses, and you ladies know all of our weaknesses, and the lady said, Amen. View those weaknesses as an opportunity for you to help them grow. Just real quickly, I, I just kind of wrote these down, just as some practical thoughts. Help him grow in godliness where he is weak. Again, it, instead of looking at these things, God, you know, he's always prideful, or he's always doing this, he's always doing that, just really irritates me. Instead, think, I'm his helper and I see these areas of weakness in him, and how can I, as his wife, help him grow in this area? Here's another just kind of helpful, practical hint. Affirm his strengths. Men like to have their strengths affirmed. But, uh, I mean, oftentimes in the marriage, it doesn't happen. But listen, th this what, I'm going to tell you, this is going to help your man grow, okay? When you see him praying with the kids, you tell him, honey, that... That was so, I saw you praying with them, and that, that was just so precious and sweet to me, and I just love it when you do that. Or, sweetheart, when you prayed over me, that just meant so much to me. Or, honey, I saw you sharing your faith with that guy or that gal, and I, it just so impressed me, and, and, and I just I love you for that. Or, you know, when you came home yesterday, and, and you just you dropped everything on, on, the, on the table and came straight up and just grabbed me and gave me a big kiss, that, that just meant so much to me, honey, and I just want to say thank you for that. Just affirm his strengths, and, and that, will, that will help you be his helper. And lastly, help release him to do ministry. Help release him to do ministry. Here's a great example of that. The guys up on the stage that play week in and week out, here's what I think is so beautiful, and I see this happening in our church all the time with the, the men in leadership and, and the guys in the band. You know what their wives are doing? Double duty. I mean, the husband's not at home. Like, he's up here playing. He's playing drums or he's playing guitar. So what does that mean? Well, it means now that the wife has to alone get the kids ready for church. She's got to get, you know, get the breakfast, pack up the thing and the juice cup and the backpack and the fishies. And, you know, she's got to hurt everybody and get everybody in the seat and strapped in and everybody to church while he's here playing. Man, like... That's a beautiful picture of a wife releasing her husband to do ministry. And so that is an awesome, practical, helpful way that, that you can be the submissive helper to your husband. Secondly, the wife is to be the submissive helper 
for the care of the children. Did you see that in the text? They were instructed, the older women were instructed to teach the younger women to love their husbands and to love their children. Again, this is God's design. God's design is that the man is the breadwinner. He is the worker. He, he is not homeward in his orientation, okay? He, he is outward in his orientation, meaning he is leaving the home to get the work done. And what the wife is doing is serving her husband and serving her children by loving them, caring for them. Again, this is God's original design for the way the relationship, the marriage relationship should work. The, the woman is to take the mass responsibility um, for childbearing, okay, because we only get one part in that, dudes. Um, so she takes the responsibility of childbearing and childrearing while the man takes responsibility for breadwinning. Ladies, okay, again, this is where our culture has veered off, and I want you to hear me. Ladies, this means in God's design, your children come before your career. Now, I know the culture has taught you that your career is the most important thing. You go, girl. You get out there and you get yourself a degree and you get yourself a career and, and you be, you know, one hand on the hip and the other one waving like this. You ain't going to tell me what to do. I go get my own. This is what the culture has thrust upon young women in particular. And so the career woman is seen as the mighty, strong, I am woman, hear me roar. Now, the problem with that is, is that the modern woman has prioritized her career over her children. And that is absolutely not what Scripture says. The wife's priority is her husband, then her children. I know that's a hard word. Again, am I saying a wife can't have a career? No, my wife has a career. My wife works out of the home. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that it can't be to the detriment, her career can't be to the detriment of her children and their, her service to her husband. Ladies, ask yourself these questions. Am I working out of the home as a source of my identity? Is my drive to work out of the home, do I want to do that because it's a source of my identity? This is who I am. I'm a teacher. I'm a stylist. I'm a career woman. I'm a this, I'm a that, and it's part of who I am. Well, the Bible says that first you're a daughter of God. That's your identity. Next, you're a wife. Next, you're a mother. But that's your identity not your career. Am I working out of the home because I like stuff? I mean, my husband is providing and covering the bills, but, you know, we like the nicer things of life, and so I'm, I'm going to keep working so we can afford the new cars. And the. Am I working to the neglect of my husband and my children? Listen to this. Women, you have a beautiful opportunity to shape your children in the gospel. Don't ever see yourself as a babysitter. You see yourself as a minister of the gospel of grace to your children. Listen, you only have one opportunity to raise them. Make the most of it. You only have one opportunity to raise your children. Make the most of it. Now, for some, that means that you need to radically look at 
how you're spending your budget so that your wife can spend more time at home. Others of you might say, you know what, we're going to come home all together. Uh, others of you, again, because of where you are in your stage of life, it's going to make more sense for the wife to work out of the home for a season. Okay, so, so listen, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying every woman has to be a stay-at-home mom. That is not my message. That is not my message. But when you look at this text, it is so clear that the woman is homeward in her orientation, which leads me to this next point. And thirdly and lastly, the wife is to be the submissive helper so her home functions to the best of its ability. It's said very clearly in that text that the older women should teach the younger women to be working at home, to be working at home. This does not mean, again, I'm saying this for the 50th time, this does not mean that the, work, that the wife cannot work outside of the home. Again, read Proverbs 31. The, the lady in Proverbs 31, she buys property, she's making garments, she's selling them in the marketplace, okay? She's doing all of that in that text, but she is doing all of that to be focused on her home. It is to the benefit of her home. Listen to Proverbs 31, 26 through 27. This is, the, this is the picture of the godly woman. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the, teach, the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household, and she does not eat the bread of idleness. Okay? So the woman who is homeward in her orientation is not the woman who is sitting on the couch, eating bonbons, you know, watching the soaps, yelling at the kids, hey, put your brother down. You know, she, she is up and active in the home, making sure that the home is a place of serenity, and, and it's a great place for the husband to come home to after he's been working and breadwinning all day. That, that's her heart, and that's her hope, is to create a home that is a restful, beautiful place to raise kids and for the husband to come home and have an environment to where he can lead to the best of his ability. She is homeward in her orientation, okay? Now, the scary thing about all of this, ladies, is that if you submit yourself to the leadership of your husband, it means that you are surrendering control. Let me say that a better way. By acknowledging the leadership of your husband, here's a better way to say it, it means that you're relinquishing, <laughs> it means that you're relinquishing the false view that you actually had any control to begin with. Okay? So, Husbands lead and wives are called to submit. This is God's design for us and for our lives. Amen? This is what God's word says. Now, God does not call us to do anything that we cannot do in his power. If you're here today and you're a dude and you're, again, feeling this tall, or if you're here and you're a lady and you're going, those things seem totally unattainable, unachievable, here's the great news. God does not call us to do anything that we cannot achieve in his power. He is saying, I am going to send my spirit to empower you men to be godly men who lead their homes. God is saying, I am sending my Holy Spirit to you ladies to empower you to be a submissive helper for your children and for your 
husband. He has given us this clear example. Jesus was the clear visionary leader. Jesus was sent on a mission. He comes here with a clear vision of, I have to do this and this and this before I get to that cross. And Jesus, as the visionary leader, implements that plan and carries it out all the way to the cross, all the way to death, because Jesus is our example of a visionary leader. In addition, all along the way, he was submitting to the will of the Father, just as the submissive wife submits to her husband. So he is also your example, and he is also guiding and helping and showing us what it's like to do that. Listen, where there has been failure on the part of the men in the room, where there has been failure on the part of the women in the room, there is grace. There's grace for your failure, men. Don't, don't walk out of here feeling like this tall, like I could never do that. You walk out of here knowing God has forgiven me where I have failed, and he is empowering me to walk better and more fully in his might and his power. Here's the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter is we are far worse off than we can ever believe, but there is more grace than we can ever imagine. You're a worse husband than you have ever dreamed of, okay? In a, in a thousand years, right? You're way worse off than you ever thought. Ladies, same for you, but there is way more grace for that than we could ever imagine. There's way more empowerment of the Holy Spirit to help us figure all this stuff out. And listen, I've, j- I've just given some, some little things here. I am hoping and praying the Holy Spirit will come in and empower us to show us more fully what it's like to be a visionary leader. I want the Holy Spirit to come and show you ladies more what it's like to be a submissive helper, okay? But He's coming, and he's available, and he's here. Call him, pray for him, ask him to come and and forgive you to where you've messed up and to give you power and empowerment to move forward in the God-designed role that he has given you. Amen? Let me pray for us while I still got voice left. Jesus, we love you. Father, we're thankful for uh, these awesome roles which you've given us. Help us to see the beauty in them, not to despise them as the culture despised them, as the culture has sought to throw them out and throw them away. God, may we cling to them and say, this is who I am in the Lord, and it's beautiful. May the men in the room cling to their role as the visionary leader and say, this is what God has called me to, and it's beautiful. May the women in the room cling to their submissive Helping and say, this is what God has called me to, and it's beautiful, and it's glorious, and I don't care what the culture says. I'm going to cling to it with all my might because I know in it there will be joy. So, Father, I pray for the marriages in the room today that need help. Father, I pray that they would step outside of themselves and ask for help, that they would swallow their pride and they would come to the leadership team, they would come to me or Charles or David or Greg, they would come to us and just, just say, I need help. Our marriage needs help so that they might start to get into counseling. Father, I pray for uh, the healthy marriages in the room, that you would empower them all the more. You would empower them all the more to walk in their God-given roles. I pray for the single people in the room, Father, that they would wait, that they would wait, wait, wait with patience and diligence for a godly man or a godly woman to come along so that their relationship might honor you and be full of joy for generations to come. We ask all these things in the mighty and powerful and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.